Faith at the Fringe, a Sanctuary First podcast series. Uncovering God in the creative arts. At the biggest international arts festival in the world, Sanctuary First stops to ask, where does faith and art meet? Welcome to Faith at the Fringe, a Sanctuary First podcast series is seeking to uncover where we find God in the middle of the Edinburgh International Festival and especially on the Fringe. I'm joined today with my colleague, Hannah Sanderson. Hi again. And we've got with us today members of the Searchlight Theatre Company who are performing a particular uh, play entitled uh, Return to the Hiding Place. And so we're looking forward to having a conversation with um, David Robinson and also with Judy Moore. And together we're going to uncover where we can find God in the midst of the fringe. Is God hiding in the midst of all this? And perhaps we might open up and that might take us into a whole new area. But before we do that, if there's something's hiding, there's a searchlight that's looking for something. Uh, so could you maybe give us a, a steer on why you're called searchlight? Yes, thank you very much for having us. Yeah, I'll, I'll do my best. Uh, searchlight started in 2011. Myself and uh, a colleague kicked it off. We were both in another Christian theatre company um, called Salt Mine Theatre Company. I was there for... 22 years, I think it was, uh, became their artistic director and writer and actor and, and loved it. Uh, but I just felt the time was maybe ready to manage my own diary a bit more. So stepped out and um, we started Searchlight 2011. And our first show uh, was also biographical uh, about a man associated with Edinburgh a fair bit, uh, Eric Little. Uh, and it was just in the run up to the 2012 London Olympics. So we retold his story um, that was made famous from Chariots of Fire. And actually we premiered that here um, at uh, a church in Holy Corner, just near where he used to worship at the Edinburgh Fringe in 2012. And then it toured successfully for a little while. So I guess we're about um, telling, telling good stories and, and highlighting God in through those stories and casting a bit of light. Um, so we, we want to tell good news stories and, and not always uh, too obviously, uh, but, you know, theatre should speak for itself and it should also uh, spark discussion and conversation. And what did you think of that? Did you? Oh, well, I thought that. And that's fine if people have uh, varying views. We, we know in the writing and in the rehearsal and the performing what we want to portray and what we hope the audience will go home with. That's not always the case. That's in, in the hands of the audience. But um, yeah, it's, it's casting light on some good stories. That's what we've done in the last 10, 11 years or so. So, Judy, tell me, what, what drew you to the, the part that you play in this particular play? And the, perhaps what drew you to the play itself, No Hiding Place? Yeah, I think many years ago I was um, reading the story of Corrie Ten Boom and, um, <clears throat> excuse me, it was when we were in company with Salt Mine actually and I'm just drawn to her 
as a bit of a hero of mine, I think, because she is so real in her grappling with suffering, like we all do, uh, with her honesty, with her fragility. And so although we perhaps herald her as a, a real hero, she is very relatable to play. Um, she has an angelic sister, which I grew up with an angelic sister, so I know what that feels like. So I've, I've always identified with her um, and with the fact that she somehow survives, but she's often sort of hanging on by her fingernails, I think. Um, so it's, she's a dream to play, actually. Um, hard to perfect a Dutch accent, but um, yeah, uh, she's a really, really interesting character and inspiring. And there's so many levels you can play her because one minute she is really outstanding in her courage, surrounded by her family, and other times she's really fragile and broken and doubting and wrestling. And I think that's the journey of most of our lives, really, yeah. <laughs> if we're honest. So... Yeah, she's great. I'm very drawn to her. And then we wrote the play together, as David said, years ago. And then it's a real privilege to revisit her all these years on, really. Yeah. So for those people who perhaps might be listening who don't know who Corey Ten Boom is or, or, or the story, um, can you give us a, you know, not 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 20 minutes, <laughs> but uh, can you give us a kind of right, five-minute yes. encapsulation of what, what are we talking about here? Who is right. this lady? Uh, well, act one. Uh, <laughs> yes, um, <laughs> They, they were an ordinary family in a town called Harlem, which is about half an hour outside of Amsterdam. They were watchmakers, jewellers. The shop is still there, uh, although it says Ten Boom, watches outside. They sold the shop. Uh, but the museum that we both visited is upstairs. Uh, and then the outbreak of war when the, the Nazis invaded uh, the Netherlands uh, and the Jews were being thrown out... Um, they decided they couldn't stand by and do nothing. They weren't Jewish, they were Dutch, uh, Christians, and um, uh, yeah, Papa, uh, Corey's father particularly, calls himself an Old Testament scholar, and he said I, he couldn't stand by and see his Jewish brothers and sisters being treated the, the way they were. Uh, and so uh, Willem, Corey's brother, had connections with the Dutch resistance and turned up uh, to see Papa, probably in his mid to late 80s, and the two middle-aged sisters, Corey and Betsy, and said, look, we've got a problem here. We've got hundreds and hundreds of Jews. We need to hide them before they're captured and get them out of Holland somehow eventually. You know, do you know anybody who could help? And Papa just said, well, bring them here. Bring them there. Now, they lived in the centre of town. It was a busy spot. Mm. They knew it was risky. Uh, but he, he said, yeah, we know the risks, but bring them. And that's how it started. And they got seven, eight, nine, ten Jews at any one time um, who became good friends to them in a cupboard in Corey's bedroom way on the top floor. Uh, and, and that just sort of ticked over for a while. Um, but eventually they were betrayed. I mean, they were... I guess they were a little bit careless at times um, and they were in the centre of town, very close to the police station, who were looking out for people housing Jews. Um, and the risks were high and the punishment was high. They knew that. Anyway, they were betrayed eventually and um, it was ransacked and Papa and the sisters were arrested. Papa died soon after. Corey and Betsy were sent to a prison camp and then to a concentration camp. Um, Betsy died there. Corey survived and was released by some sort of admin error. Um, and then she went on to preach and write for the rest of her life, really. Uh, and the Jews were never found in the shop, even oh. though they tore it apart 
ripped down the walls, looked everywhere. They never looked in the right place. Wow. And they escaped. Wow. Mm. Wow, wonderful. Oh, wow. Amazing story. Mm. Yeah. So you that's know, hidden, it. It's a kind of biblical thing there, you know, they were hidden in, in the hollow of his hand, held mm -hmm. in the hollow of his hand, or, you know, he just, he'll hide us, he'll protect us. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting that actually there are quite a few occasions where in her story, in Corrie's story, where he hides things for her, where God's intervention, so her Bible mm. is hidden when she's searched, going into the prison, she has a little Bible and she simply says they saw everything but they, they didn't see it. And she says it's like their eyes were, were just blinded to it. And then they uh, do these wonderful Bible studies in the barracks and there's a lovely story about fleas that's quite a well-known one that her sister, the angelic one, says we've got to praise God God, even for the fleas in the barracks, and she just says, "That's I draw the line there. I'm not thanking God for them," <laughs> which is my response. <laughs> but actually, because the um, the soldiers and the wardens all knew that their barracks were riddled with fleas, they didn't come and see them, oh. and they left them alone. So many women came to faith in the barracks, reading this little Bible that God hid, mm. um, and the and they saw a little mini revival in the prison almost due to the fleas and wow. the, the lesson for that for me is is not praising God for all circumstances but in all circumstances mm. and that's kind of what comes across uh, mm. but it's, it's it's the bit that often people remember because we didn't have it in the original play and loads of people used to say oh, we missed the fleas so <laughs> we've got it in this one fleas are in the yeah. fleas are in yeah. and and the other thing in returning to the script because there's only the two of us we decided <laughs> to to look at Corrie and, and then a character from the Nazi party, which is the main character I play, Lieutenant Rams, who does appear in the book, but only in one chapter, uh, in Schwenigen, in the prison camp in Holland, before they sent to the concentration camp. And he's, he interrogates her and, and does have the power to send her home um, because uh, Dutch nationals who were housing Jews weren't always sent to concentration camps. They were interrogated, information gained, and then sent home. Didn't happen with Corrie and Betsy. Um, so we wanted to dig in a bit more about him. So some of that is imagination, but some of it is just reading her books and other books on, on, on the period. So we start with him being called to being an officer. He's promoted. He's sent to Amsterdam. He's given um, the job of seeking out people, Dutch people who are betraying. Um, and so he eventually discovers or suspects something's happening in this jeweler's shop. Um, and so has it raided and then they meet up. Um, and yeah, we, that, that's where we talk about that kind of, he, he begins to doubt what on earth he's doing and, and the darkness he's involved in and, and, and the prison he talks about, I'm, the, I'm in the prison, you're not. I can see the freedom you've got. So um, it was interesting for us to, to, to dig, what did she, what did he mean by that? And uh, she would just say, no, I'll pray for you, I'll pray for you. And he couldn't grasp that. How can you, you've just lost your father, you don't know where your sister is, you're in a dingy prison cell, you don't know what the future holds, and yet you're praying for me in this big Nazi uniform with men under him and got all the power. How can this switch be happening? Um, so uh, we unpack a lot of that, don't mm. we, in the script? I think that's my favourite scene to play in a way because it starts so much with the power 
with David's character, the lieutenant, and I'm shaking with fear. And actually, as you play the scene, she becomes more and more confident mm. in what she knows to be true. And he unravels. And so it's it's a really interesting scene to, you know, it's quite a victorious thing at the end to say, I will pray for you, Lieutenant. And he hates that, doesn't he? So that, that's probably my favourite scene in terms of the mm. message of the of the play really um and it is theater with a message i think i you know i love your question i think i think the fringe is a wonderful opportunity to make god visible through the arts in you know well he was always at work but making him visible i think yeah. is, is a real thing that we're passionate about doing so absolutely mm. absolutely mm. it's interesting as well earlier you were talking about obviously Corrie lost her father and then she lost her sister as well. And it's interesting, isn't it, Albert, that through our podcast, actually loss has been a theme that has mm. come up in quite a lot of people's expressions of, of, of art and expressions of their own journeys. Um, and, you know, obviously your play is about a really serious subject. I mean, it's, you know, it's not skipping through tulips. But equally, where is, do you find that your piece is, is balanced, you know, through the loss and through the pain? Is there a joy there? Is there a hope there? How, how is that balance told through, mm. through your piece? There are, there are a few smiles and a few giggles there. I mean, it, they're quite a simplistic uh, family in a way, and I think there's humour in that. This is two middle-aged ladies and and an, o uh, an old age pensioner saying, "We want to be in the Dutch Resistance. We want to have um, Jews in our cupboard upstairs, you know, and 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 run a jeweller's shop downstairs." So there there are things that uh, that, that that go wrong, and um, there's there's an introduction of a character called Mr. Smith. Uh, who becomes every Dutch resistance member who comes through the door. So the code name is Mr. Smith. So whoever came through the door is Mr. Smith. So, uh, Papa gets very confused. Papa gets very confused with this, another Mr. Smith. Uh, and then converting uh, the house to make it mm. safe. So, yeah, there's particularly in Act 1, mm. uh, we try and make it as light as possible because we know what's coming in yeah. Act 2, which is, which is her mm. solitary confinement, her interrogation, the loss of her sister. Um, but um, we refer quite a bit to uh, sort of blue skies and we've added in this production uh, a little piece about some of the Dutch uh, masters, art masters, um, including Vermeer. Uh, and um, Corrie keeps a little photograph, a postcard of view of Delft by Vermeer in her Bible. And uh, the final scene, my character is in the art gallery in Germany and there's an exhibition of that and so we bring that back in at the end where he at last can see the big blue skies of a Dutch master which Corrie could always see even in her cell even with a very tiny little window she was always looking for the blue sky uh, and he couldn't grasp that um, so we try and get a little bit of uh, lightness into the second half but the first half certainly yeah it, it's it's not heavy heavy all the way through definitely I think the the loss is um, its really quite um, hard to play, the loss of Papa, because he, there's so much affection for him in the first act, and David plays him beautifully, and, and there is so much love in the family that for him to just die on a trolley um, is, is horrible. And um, when we used to play it, 
um, my dad was alive, but my dad died in COVID. So I found that bit where I'm mm. sort of screaming out and then she screams out, will someone come and sit with me? Because she's totally in solitary when she hears. Mm. And I, that is a really, it's heart wrenching, mm. but, but good cathartic to play as a performer as well. Cause you, you know, you do sort of have that absolute sense of loss. And then yeah. when Betsy dies, there's a different kind of loss because Betsy says we'll be together uh, once again on New Year's Day 1945. And she has this sort of prophetic dream that she will be released and Corrie is physically released and Betsy dies. And mm. so there's that sense of release into the eternal mm. and a real sense of joy in amongst the pain, which is complex to play, but hopefully is, is moving yeah. to watch as well. Yeah. Certainly is to perform. Mm. So, wow. Yeah. It's fascinating, just when I, I was listening and thinking about you were describing the two people at loss, you know, and the, you're describing Corrie in, in her prison and eventually becoming more power, you know, getting a sense of power and the, the, the other, the, the guard becoming powerless, mm. but both of them losing and gaining something. And, you know, it got me thinking about that. That, that's what life is. There's a balance in life is that, that, that we, we all go through um, this gaining something but losing something. Mm -hmm. And the gospel is about trying to bring a balance into our lives. Mm -hmm. And at the heart of all that is this whole area of forgiveness, which uh, we've not touched on yet. But that seems to be a, a key area, I would imagine, as you go through this play, and also to think about reconciliation. Mm -hmm. What is the connection between forgiveness and reconciliation? Mm. I mean, it, <laughs> it's a very good question. I mean, I don't know if this answers your question, but certainly where we land the story uh, is uh, a fairly well-known incident where Corrie's preaching about forgiveness and she's preaching that our sins are at the bottom of the sea and no fishing, you know, and she's really enjoying the preach of saying we're all forgiven people. And then in the congregation in Munich is one of the key people who tortured her sister and she remembers his face, she remembers him hitting her sister and, of course, her sister's dead and he's there in the congregation and then he walks at the end when she's tidying away her notes and says thank you for your preach uh, it's great to know that we're all forgiven and uh, that's good for me because I was a I was an officer at Ravensbrück and she says you know I remember him and there's this internal dialogue that she then has with with Jesus where she says here's my line I cannot forgive him um and there's this moment, really, that she has that where she's, I guess, filled with the Holy Spirit and just says, I can't do it, but with your help, I'll just give my hand to him. And that's all I can do. You do the rest, Jesus. You do the rest. And what begins with this sort of perfunctory handshake ends in an embrace and him breaking down. And so there's this picture of reconciliation where he is sorry and she is sorry. But I think for me, the key thing with forgiveness and reconciliation is it's not saying that any of that was okay. Um, because it's not okay. <laughs> you know, it's atrocious mm. the way these people behave towards them. But it's saying I won't let that hold, I won't hold on to it anymore. And that actually we have in common the fact that we are both forgiven people. Mm. And that's their commonality, I guess, at, at the end, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, and, and the lieutenant struggles after the war. Um, so there is 
you know, the war's over, there is, you would think, freedom. Um, and, and Corey starts a, a touring and a preaching and a writing. He goes home, which he's longed to get home for some time, uh, and starts building walls in his garden. So he almost begins to imprison himself after the war when freedom is there for him if he wants it. Um, but he can't cope. He, he, he feels sick if he sees anyone in any kind of uniform. Um, he doesn't go out. He doesn't play to his beloved music. Um, and then uh, we hear that he, he does become a Christian. He says, I began to follow the God that, that Corrie knew. Uh, and in his battle was, was believing that God forgave him because of what he mm. did, because of what he signed up for in the Nazi party, because of what he observed and what he signed off to. Um, he couldn't believe that God would forgive him. Um, but then he recollects and hears Corey's voice quite clearly in his head, you know, saying sometimes what we have to carry is, is just too heavy, Lieutenant. Give it over to God. Uh, and that's, that's what he has to do. And that's when he can take the walls down a little bit. So they've both got a battle uh, in that mm. forgiveness and reconciliation scene at the end, which we hope is powerful and palpable and, and, and what people take away from the show, really. Quite profound areas of thinking, especially in a culture today. But one wonders sometimes if there is a philosophy that goes around that says nobody needs to be forgiven. Mm. Nobody, you know, you just do, you do what you want and that's okay. And, and But one wonders, again, in seeing this being brought before our very eyes in this discussion, we know in our heart that that's not true. Mm. We know in our heart that's not true. But am I getting that wrong? Or do you think there is a philosophy that goes around thinking nobody needs to be forgiven? I think there might be a bit of both. I think... It's always newsworthy when somebody does come forward like a Nelson Mandela or somebody who's, who's lost someone and actually says, I choose to forgive the person who has just taken the life of a loved one or whatever. It becomes newsworthy. But I also think that the response to that is often there's a craving in all of us to be able to do that. There is a craving, I think, to be able to forgive but it, it's, it makes the news because it's a rare thing for someone to come out mm. and, and actually say that they, they do that with God's help. So I don't know. I think that may be a bit of both, um, perhaps. I think I it's very, it, it can be uh, powerful and, 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 and liberating in, in equal measure. I mean, um, I think Philip Yancey talks about it quite a bit mm. in his books about that sort of grace and... Uh, certainly in the reconciliation trials in South Africa about people just looking at their oppressors in the eye a bit like Corrie did mm. and just saying, you know, let's draw a line. We need to move on from this. I forgive you. Um, and, and having such a, a huge impact and effect on the people they forgive, as, as happens at the end of this play as well. Um, so, yeah, I, I think you are right. Some people may do maybe skirt around the idea of having to forgive or needing to forgive. Um, but I don't, I don't see it as a, a weakness or a negativity to do it. I think it's a hugely powerful mm. act and, and liberating act to do and should be encouraged. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
When you were writing the play, um, and obviously before you, you know, brought it up um, here to Edinburgh, you know, why did you write it? Do, do you have an aim for your expression here? I, is there, a, is there a, you know, a particular thing you want audiences to take away? Or are you just laying before them the narrative of someone's life and mm. letting them take what they would like? Or is there a, was there an aim? I mean, that's a really good question. Mm. I, I would say it's such a good story that I would trust really that in the moment people will take different themes from it because it's an ordinary, ordinary family living quite extraordinarily mm. by faith. Um, and so there are there are multiple themes. There are definitely moments where you think you feel God's presence on stage that little bit more. I think certainly the end forgiveness scene, there is a sense of God's presence mm. in that moment for sure. Um, and you examine your own heart, I think, as a performer as well. Can you honestly say that you've forgiven everyone you need to, you know, when you when you're doing mm. that? But I think um, I wonder. It's if there is more that we're trying to say in this particular show than we did when we did the full cast, I think we're perhaps trying to say a little bit more about freedom, what true freedom looks like. And I think with the society as it is, with people increasingly depressed and frightened and anxious for the future, there are some real confidences within the play that I hope will just encourage people about what is true freedom, because they lose so much, but as you said, they gain so much as well. Um, so I, I would probably say the juxtaposition mm. of light and darkness and freedom and captivity mm. would be perhaps this particular show yeah. where we land it a bit more. Would, that, yeah. would you agree? I, with I would agree, yeah. And, and I think I agree with what you said at the beginning that often where we start by when reading her books is, is it was fairly clear early on that this would make a very good stage mm. production. And it's been a film as well. And so the story is very strong. And the story is real. You can't argue with it. There are people, those she hid, have written their stories. Um, and and mm. one or two may still be alive, I'm not sure. But they, they have retold being in the hiding place and what it was like for them. So you know it was true. You know these people existed. You know there was these, this elderly family um, tottering around Harlem doing their best. Um, so we thought, well, it's a great story. Now, what does it say? Um, well, I think it says a lot about sort of their their heart and their generosity and they, um, that feeling uh, we can't just stand by and some of those parallels to today with, mm. with countries that are struggling. Do you, do you just watch from afar or do you reach out a hand? And that their decision to reach out a hand was so risky mm. but so, so strong. Um, so I think we wanted to make sure that that message got across, I guess, and... Uh, and, and I think it's, it has a relevance, certainly, uh, first time we did it, and, and certainly today, um, on, on looking out for your brothers and sisters. Mm. Well, I tell you, we've been having an interesting conversation <laughs> uh, uh, around this whole theme. Um, and if people were wanting to uh, come and watch this or hear, where and when? 
Well, tickets still available, Albert. Um, Palmerston Place Church, which helpfully is in Palmerston Place, uh, <laughs> which I think is described as the West End of Edinburgh, yeah. isn't it? So towards Haymarket. We're on to, on Thursday, Friday, Saturday of week three. Uh, two shows on Thursday, one on Friday, and then a matinee on Saturday to finish. Um, and you can just turn up at the church and buy on the door. And if uh, someone could make it here in Edinburgh, are you performing it anywhere else in the future? We are, yes. Uh, a fair <laughs> distance from here, Cornwall <laughs> uh, is next, but it, it, it's in our repertoire, so it'll be touring for the next year or so, definitely. So, But you can check out the Searchlight website for those details. Well, thank you so much for sharing with us and uh, being with us today. Uh, so thank you to you, Judith, and to you. David for being with thank us you. today. And can I also thank my fellow host, uh, Hannah, for being with us today and uh, sharing in this podcast. One of the things we do is at the end of the podcast is we just take a moment to thank you, the listener uh, or the viewer, for being part of our podcast today. And we always like to just say a blessing on you. So may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you his peace now and always. Amen. Amen. Amen.